0: heights to the depths of the
1: sea but the man said to joab verse 12 though i were to receive a thousand shekels of silver i would not do this i wouldn't raise my hand against the king for you remembered joab in in the presence of the king and all the people he said for my sake do not do any harm to the son to this to this young man and and in our hearing he said this beware lest anyone touch the young man absalom
0: Inescalating, indescribable, uncontainable Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. With snow. Joab didn't hesitate to strike Absalom, though he knew David commanded him not to. Even though everyone else was willing to follow David's direction, Joab was convinced that it was in David's best interest and in Israel's best interest to show Absalom justice but not mercy. Jesus taught us about mercy in the Sermon on the Mount. In the book of Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If God gives mercy, so should we. Now here's Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress.
1: He's going to go to war against his own countrymen, but the saint, the, the people of uh, the, the the lords of the Philistines says, you know what, we don't trust this guy because when we get in the battle, he's going to turn around and he's going to fight against us. And and so remember, Achish sent him, he said, David, I'm sorry, I trust you, these guys don't, but you've got to go. <laughs> So he tells David to go about 80 miles south down to Ziklag, which is in the northern part of Israel. And, and so that's what happened at that time. But this man at Etai was one of those Philistines. And there was something about David that Etai said, you know what? I can follow this man. He's not one of my people. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Jew. He's a Hebrew. But when I compare Akish and I look at David. David was the ones who went out and fought all of Akish's battles, and that's what gained this trust between Akish and David. And this man, Atei, we don't know much about him other than that he was um, loyal to David. And when David left, he followed him and he went with him. He wanted to be servant to David. And you think about that, even when the enemy's troops are going and serving you, and they were saying there was probably uh, two, between two or two hundred or six hundred men from Gath that came with him to serve David. The enemy's army comes to serve. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? But that's who this man Atei was. And, and again, a very common strategy to divide the armies up into three. We see Gideon doing that in Judges 7, verse 16, when he sent out three groups of a hundred to go against the Midianites. Remember the pitchers and, and, the, and the lamps? He sent out three different groups, three groups of a hundred, a very common strategy. We see it also, Saul doing the same thing in 1 Samuel chapter 11. But notice in verse 3, back in our text, it says, But the people answered, You shall not go out, because they were afraid, again, that they would get a hold of David. And that's, they knew that that's all that they wanted was to get David Everyone else was valueless, but he was a high-valued target. And so, verse 4, the king said to them, whatever seems right to you, that's what, I do, what I'll do. And so the king commanded, verse 5, uh, those three men, Joab, Abishai, and Ittai from Gath. He tells them in, in, in the hearing of all the people, he says, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. So that means when you find him, I want him alive. Bring him back alive. And again, what an amazing character. You know, think about if somebody was hunting you down and was serious about killing you, <laughs> and they were going after you like nobody's business, would you have that same heart? Of course, Absalom was David's son. That certainly helps. But to think that he, you know, produced a coup, forcing David out, and then now David is on the run again. David was used to being on the run. He seems to have acquired this wonderful skill of finding out every nook and cranny of that area in Israel. And he knew that geography really well. And so when he took those people across the Jordan over to Mahanaim, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what his plan was. And I'm sure all the time he's leaving Jerusalem, he's thinking, I know where I'm going to go. He didn't even know, I think, when he left. But as he's going, he's thinking, I know where I'm going to go. And I'm going to gain the advantage. And Hushai, giving the The call to amass all of Israel gave him that extra time that he needed, valuable time for David to gather himself, an army. So he tells these three generals, you know, deal well for my sake, or deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And and David knew by now the experience, by experience, just the bloodthirsty nature of Joab and his brother Abishai. Abishai. Joab's brother. And both of these men had a lot of blood on their hands. And uh, and David knew them very well. He grew up with them. You know, they were his nephews, his sisters, sons, and so verse 6, the people went out into the field of battle against Israel, and the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. Now this woods of Ephraim, uh, remember how I had said, here's the Jordan River, you know, in the center of Israel, and then David and his men, they, they found this, this area, Mahanaim, right there on the Jabbok River, that's where they stayed, and the forest of Ephraim was just a little bit north of that, okay? There was a forest there, and evidently a, a pretty substantial forest, very thick, And that's exactly where David uh, strategically begins his battle and draws the enemy of Israel, his own brothers, unfortunately. He brings them into that area. And so verse 7, it says, The people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David, and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. So already Absalom's army is being decimated And the battle was scattered over the face of the whole countryside. And notice what it says there in verse 8. And the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. It was so thick and so difficult to navigate in those woods that um, men's swords were getting entangled and they couldn't draw well the way they would. They had trouble fighting. And David's men were well-versed, evidently, and they knew this terrain. And the people who came to help David knew that terrain. And so these men were at a great disadvantage. And then notice what it says in verse 9. Then Absalom met the servants of David. And Absalom rode on a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the middle, caught in the terebinth tree. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. I mean, this sounds like, like a cartoon, doesn't it? I mean, when you, when you hear about this, and, and, and especially if you know something about Absalom, because this mule, this, this, uh, which was really an offspring of a male donkey and a female horse, that's what this mule was. And so he's riding this mule, and, and the Scripture tells us in chapter 14 of this chapter, or this book that we're looking at, why, why did his head get caught in the bows of, these, of this tree? Why was it? Well, let me read something to you. This guy was fabulous. He was like, he could do like a Pantene commercial. I mean, his hair, the, the fan blowing on him and just, you know, kind of doing that in the flow. And then just, you know, three pounds of hair would just go to the side and, you know. And that was Absalom. He was a handsome guy, long, thick, blonde hair. In 2 Samuel 14, it says this about him. It says, Now in Israel there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. He was a good-looking guy. From the sole of his head to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. And when he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head 200 shekels, according to the king's standard. That's roughly between three and five pounds of hair. And he did it every year. So you can see this this guy with the bushy hair, the long locks going in on this mule and his hair gets all, there's branches sticking here, branches sticking in here and he's just like, and the mule takes off and he's suspended in the air. And so this is the, the predicament that he finds himself in and a certain man saw it and told Joab and Joab in verse 10 says, why did, you told me this, why isn't he dead? Right, And so... But the man said to Joab, verse 12, Though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver, I would not do this. I wouldn't raise my hand against the king. For you remembered, Joab, in, in the presence of the king and all the people, he said, For my sake, do not do any harm to the son, to this, to this young man. And in and, and our hearing, he said this, Beware, lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. And what's interesting here is that this was the command of David, in verse 5 of this chapter, deal gently for my sake for the young man Absalom. And all the people heard it. Everyone heard it. And yet Joab, do you see already, you see the character of the man? And he, he really hasn't changed from when we see him back in, you know, in the beginning of this book. He, he hasn't really changed. He's still just a bloodthirsty man, a conniver a very intelligent man. David trusts him, but, but he's not so obedient to David, though, is he? He's obedient to a point until his own rage gets involved, and then he disregards the king's commands. He follows his own heart. Instead of listening to the king, he's like, you know what, I'm going to put this guy to death. He burned my fields earlier on, and I'm going to go after him. And he was loyal to a fault, but he also had his own motives. And that's a dangerous guy. Somebody who's loyal but also has his own motives. And that's who Joab was. He says, Otherwise I would have dealt falsely against my own life, for there's nothing hid from the king, and you would have set yourself against me. I don't trust you, Joab, because even though you tell me you know, to kill the man, if I'd done it, you would be the one to tell David that I had killed him, and then David would have me killed. Anybody who goes to David and boasts of somebody's death, that they had um, like an enemy of David's death, it doesn't turn out well for them. If, if you look in the history of First of and Second Samuel, you'll, you'll see that any time somebody has come and said, you know, your enemy's dead and I'm the one who put him to death, David said, put him to death. You know, what are you doing? I didn't ask you to go kill anybody. I didn't ask you to kill my enemies. God is able to take care of my enemies. Thank you very much. What were you doing? You have no right to take another man's life unnecessarily just because he's an enemy of mine. So Joab, he hears this from the young man and he says, I cannot linger with you. In other words, get out of my way. And he takes three spears in his hand and he thrusts them through Absalom's heart. And I think that was enough to kill him, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you think that'd be enough? Three spears in the heart? One would probably do, but no, not one, not two, but three. He does it three times while he's hanging there in the tree. And the ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom, and they struck and they killed him. and I, and I think of the hate and the vengeful heart that these men had uh, for each other, you know, Absalom and, and Joab and these other men who were Absalom's or Joab's armor bearer. you know men who carried his armor, how much they hated Absalom. They mutilated this guy. Joab's three spears in the heart would have been enough, but they go even further, just the bloodlust, and it's an unfortunate thing. But what I find really interesting in all of this is that the very thing that Absalom was so proud of, his hair, he was proud of his hair, was ultimately an assistant to his death, an assistant to his death. Had he not had that big you know, flowing uh, locks that he had, he probably wouldn't have been caught in the, in the, in the bows of the tree. And obviously there's a, a very good lesson here, which we all have known and have learned, and we'll learn again, and that is pride is destructive. Pride in anything is destructive. Whatever it is that we have so much pride in, that thing is going to undo us in the end. Somewhere along the way, it's going to take care of us, and I don't mean in a positive way, right? Pride. It could be in a feature of your face. It could be it could be a job it could be a wife a spouse it could be anything you have so much pride in something if your eyes aren't on Christ rather than on that thing you are going to be in trouble because that thing that you have so much pride in is going to do you in eventually eventually and it seems to always come about doesn't it i've seen it in my own life just you know seeing people and and then years go by and then you hear Something and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it finally caught up to him. It finally caught up to her. It finally caught up to him. The thing that he was doing that he was so proud in, and then years go by, and then you read their obit or you hear from somebody that they had died. And the pride, the pride. What does it tell us in Proverbs 16, verse 18? Pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before a fall. Go, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Absalom. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16, these 6 things the Lord hates. Yes, 7 are an abomination to him. Notice a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Does that sound like the the curriculum vitae of Absalom? Sounds like his resume. I was proud I had a lying tongue. I had hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Certainly he did that as he planned to to throw his father off the throne and take the throne for himself. Feet that are swift and running to evil. That's exactly what he was as as the army came against Jerusalem with him and his men. A false witness who speaks lies. Yes, he spoke lies. One who sows discord among brethren. And that's exactly who we see Absalom as all those things. And his fall was coming. In First Peter chapter 5, it tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. God hates a proud person. It's the very same thing that Lucifer, who used to be one of the archangels or one of the, the angels that evidently had some, uh, some uh, ministry to the Lord and, and, and bringing perhaps the worship of all of creation to, to the Lord. he, he, he says in, in Ezekiel that his, Ezekiel 28, that the, 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 t- the pipes and the tablets and the things, he was a music man. Satan, in his original form, Lucifer, was a music genius. And yet he fell because of his pride, because he said in his heart, I will ascend. I will do this, I will do that. And God says, you're going to be brought down to hell and like an abominable branch, you're going to be broken to never be seen for again. And we know that that day is coming. Looking forward to that day, aren't you? I'm really looking forward to that day. Jesus tells us in Matthew, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And certainly Absalom was one of these people. He exalted himself and he was humbled. And David who humbled himself, he is going to continue to be exalted, even though he had done these despicable crimes that God forgave him for, that he never did again. He did that. And God also answered the prayer of David. Unwittingly to David, God answered his prayer. What was his prayer? You might just want to write in your Bible in the margin in this verse here, uh, 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 chapter 15, verse 31 of this same book. Remember David, someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom, and David said, and he prays, and this is what he says, O Lord, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Did God answer that prayer? He did, didn't he? Because his counsel was thwarted by Hushai's counsel and thus the Lord dealt with Ahithophel for his treacherous character and now here in this in these two verses here in our text this evening in verse 14 and 15 it all comes to fruition with Absalom's death by Joab and and Joab excuse me Absalom excuse me his sin found him out didn't it His sin found him out, and our sin will always find us out. In fact, you recall back in Numbers chapter 32, as the children of Israel were getting ready to cross over from the west side of the Jordan River going east. I'm sorry, from the east side of the Jordan River going west, that Moses, or Joshua, excuse me, tells the men, that they are all to go over together and to fight the battle, and then they'll settle the land. But remember, uh, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh—they decided to stay on the right, on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan River. And God told them uh, through Joshua, "If you—if that's what you want to do, actually Moses, excuse me—if that's what you want to do, you better make sure that you help your brothers get settled in the land and help, go with them and fight the battles." Because if you don't, be sure that your sin will find you out. And it always does. right? The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's what we get for sinning. It's a wage. It's something we receive. We receive death of some kind when we sin. And certainly Absalom is receiving his reward. And God is answering the prayer of David. Turning the Ahithophel, we'll look at that in a minute. Because in uh, in Second Samuel seventeen it says the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. That is pretty serious, isn't it? To think that God would do that, bring disaster on somebody because of their life. And and that's why it's so important for us to never uh, play fancy or play footloose or be footloose with sin of any kind. Because we just don't know when the hammer is going to drop. And it seems that God, he's always gracious. God is always gracious. But for every person, do do you find this true in your own life that God seems to, you know, you, you look at maybe what you're getting away with and maybe you've been getting away with it for years. And then somebody else comes along, does the same thing, and they get busted the first time. And yet you've been doing the same thing for years. And God has been warning you, warning you, warning you, warning you. And all of a sudden, you come to the realization that that could have been me. And why wasn't it me? And that's a, that's a part of the, the counsels of God that I can't understand. Why does he allow one to, to be um, punished early and another person can get away with it for years that's a mystery I I don't have an answer for but all I can say is God is a God of grace he's a God of grace and he gives us space to repent and everybody's different he knows how much time you need and he knows when you're finally going to come to the end and he's always waiting for you to come to the end of yourself and say you know what I'm really finished with this part of my life. I'm sick and tired of it. I've been tripping over it all my life. And here I am, you know, so-and-so years old. I've been, you know, struggling with this thing for 20 years. I'm done with it. And God says, I knew this time would come. (laughs) And that's the unfair advantage that God has. And again, I don't pretend to know the counsels of God and that that, 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 that belongs to him. But I also know that God knows another person And they could get away with it for a very short period of time before they're judged somehow or brought to uh, something like Absalom. And God doesn't owe anyone an apology for what he allows and what what he does. He knew Absalom's heart. If there was any possibility that Absalom would repent, I'm sure that God would see to it that he had the optimal moment in his life to come to Christ.
0: I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday at area code 585